You're listening to the ProcureTech Podcast, your weekly show for all that's cooking in the digital procurement space. Yes, we've got the hottest startups, thought leadership and conversation from visionary industry experts and definitely no stiff corporate content. I'm your host, James Meads, procurement pro, digital nomad and ProcureTech fanboy. And now here's this week's show. Yes, hello and welcome to another edition of the ProcureTech Podcast, where every episode we bring you everything that is fun, innovative and exciting in the world of digital procurement, continuing and almost wrapping up our series of industry influencers, thought leaders and experts in their specific fields of procurement and supply chain. And today we're tackling a big elephant in the room that everyone's got their eye on right now, the world of third-party risk management. My guest today is David Lowsby, who is former CPO of Rolls-Royce and recently turned consultant and Moving now into the academic field, which I'm sure he's going to tell us a little bit more about with the transaction really of academic research and practical application of that, which is often something that you wonder if your professors have ever done any work in that field. If David's going to be your lecturer, then he most certainly has. So David, warm welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, James. Uh, what, what an introduction. Thank you. Um, so perhaps uh, as we uh, as we probably go through this, one of the things that might be useful is to perhaps set the scene by um, uh, explaining a little bit about my background. So quite a, uh, how can I put it, eclectic background of a practitioner and academic. So uh, these days I tend to refer to myself as a pracademic. So the fusion of uh, practitioner experience and uh, academic research. As ja- as you said, James, earlier, the the um, I suppose I got to the, my end of the, the tenure in in Rolls Royce as Group CPO. Decided that that for me, the one thing that I really wanted to try and do was to bring uh, more research impact uh, into business. And with that, I set about the task then of continuing, if you like, to do the practitioner stuff because that's hugely important with a number of um, advisory roles for various, uh, mainly digital companies, actually, uh, interestingly enough. But then in the early part of this year, I became a visiting scholar at the University of East Anglia, uh, restructuring and rewriting and delivering their um, uh, executive MBA uh, modules and courses. And more recently, just uh, picking up a post uh, as Professor of Research Impact in Supply Chain Management, Leeds University Business School. So this is, this is really about tr- trying to act as that what I call bridge spanner between um, academia and uh, enterprise. And for me, this is hugely important because there is so much, I think, that enterprise has to inform academia and vice versa. So uh, without further ado, I'll pass back to you, James, in terms of, um, uh, I'll call it calling the questions. <laughs> so I think the obvious thing then that I would ask you from that would be, you know, if you look at the syllabuses that you're going to be delivering or that you've written now for for future students coming in versus what that type of course would have delivered five or maybe even 10 years ago, I certainly get the impression, be interested to get your thoughts on this, because I have to be honest, this isn't an area of tech that I'm hugely knowledgeable of compared to some of the other categories. But 
the impression I get is that this has really mushroomed over the last sort of three or so years. And obviously part of that is going to be COVID being a black swan event and a lot of the geopolitical instability that is that is driving this. But you know, how much more important is technology now versus what it was just even a few years ago in terms of developing that strategy and teaching about you know what is out there and how to execute it in the real world? I think I think I, I think you're absolutely right, James. I think there's a number of things in there. One of which would be, in fact, is interesting at UEA. You know, the new modules that we put in there in terms of uh, digital, in terms of probably my speciality, which is behavioral science. Uh, driven attributes around some of the soft skills, all those kind of things would, would not have featured in an MBA program five to 10 years ago. So they're, they're now in there, which is good. I think the other thing that that's, that, that strikes me is that, that with the, the growing, I'll call it almost tsunami, I've referenced it as, of, of legislation that's going through, both from, you know, I call it different different continents, if you like, of the world. But the, but the reality is that it then it then connects with all those global and complex supply chains that we know and love. And the reality is that wherever you your business may be domiciled, the reality is that the legislation then tracks through to different geographies. So, for instance, if you look at you know very probably well five years ago, the French vigilance law, two thousand seventeen. Uh, came in, you know, and didn't talk about sort of the legislation being in, in the context of saying, you know, you need to do these things. But actually, it talked about the fact that you need to show us how you've actually actively done this within your business in terms of third party risk management, in terms of doing the, you know, the identification, putting plans in place, you know, putting measures in place to sort of ensure that things, certain things either did or didn't happen as, as the case may be. But I think from there, then you've got this whole then uh, build, if I, if I stick with the EU for a moment, in terms of the German Supply Chain Due Diligence Act, you know, the fact that now the, there are there are penalties being explicitly put in there in terms of, you know, there'll be a, you know, a 2%, a 2% of global turnover fine if, if, they, if they choose to sort of... Um, uh, fine you in terms of uh, infractions in the in the supply chain, uh, as well as exclusion to you know for three years into public contracts and all sorts of stuff like that. But then if you flip it onto the other side of the pond in terms of the US, we've now had ten executive orders in two plus years, which is absolutely unprecedented in terms of different sort of, you know, Federal Marine, uh, the Uruguay sort of Labor Act, you've got the, you know, the Supply Chain Due Diligence Acts. So there's 10 of those. And to set that in context, there probably hasn't been 10 in the last two decades. So that the whole catching up of the US and, you know, uh, I'll call it sort of a, a additional sort of focus on supply chain has been huge. And there's more, there's more to come. So, to think and to conceive that you're not going to do that in, in, in any other way than off a spreadsheet or whatever is just sheer sort of lunacy, in my opinion. So I think you know, the reality is that, that a, digit, a digitalized approach to this is an absolute must. However, the way in which you approach this, the way in which you structure this, hugely important. So I think the, the bottom line will be that you'll end up in a, in a, in a situation whereby we have to think about technologies and ecosystem of platforms that are interconnected 
And what I mean by that is you'll probably have the base systems that do the, you know, source to pay, purchase to pay type systems, et cetera, et cetera, linked to the financial systems. Great. But then what we have to then think about is the way in which they then pull through other systems that, you know, reference and, and enable, if you like, in a sense, greater and, and more, how can I put it, comprehensive and transparent ways of connecting into the supply chains in terms of, you know, who's who's in, in different sort of uh, areas of supply, um, you know, what's sustainable, what's environmentally friendly, how we, can we collaborate. So, the, the, you know, the, the, the reality is that these bigger systems then have to uh, connect and integrate with other systems such as, you know, Ecovardis, Tilbrook, Sapico, you know, to be able to collaborate and, and connect, if you like, with that whole environment. Because without that, it's, you know, you, we're just being very binary about how we do things. And the reality is that we're living in, a, in such a complex world that we can't afford to have that, that level of, how can I put it, either complacency or to, to trust it simply to, how can I put it, an individual, if you like, in our teams or whatever, no matter how good they are, to just yeah. simply interpret on their own. They do need the support, the guidance, uh, the additional sort of, how can I put it, power in a sense of, of, a, of a digitalized system that is properly structured because, as, as I've recognized certainly over this year, and I've written about it on a number of occasions, the growing level of legislation and the complexity that comes with that each and every single geography has a different, I'll call it, shape or nuance to that legislation in supply chain and, and uh, I'll call it attention towards third-party risk management that you cannot possibly expect a, an individual, no matter how good they are, to be able to assimilate all of those variances and differences at an instant. It's just simply not possible. I think there's two things I would pick up on there, and I, I certainly concur with, with what you've said on that, but I think the with technology, you also get the single source of truth. So if you if you have got someone that's red hot in this area and that information gets siloed on their C drive or on SharePoint, and nobody knows where to find it. If that individual leaves the company or is out sick or on holiday, then having that in a tech platform also gives, it democratizes or makes, you know, centralized repository for that type of information. Hey, so just a quick interlude to let you know about procurementsoftware.site. This is a new website that I recently launched to give you, the listener, a free-to-access intuitive guide to digital procurement technology. You can filter on a multitude of different criteria and pick out a short list of procurement software solutions that are relevant to your business and your needs in less time than it takes to boil an egg. No corporate subscriptions, no complex jargon, and definitely no pay-to-play model. We are a completely transparent, open book, and we really want to get your feedback on what we can really do to make this user experience better and constantly improve so as we're providing value to you. Check out procurementsoftware.site. And now let's get right back to this week's podcast. I think the other thing that I wanted to pull up on that is having a digital platform, even though it's not going to get rid of the problem, it does to some extent 
make it easier to manage your non-strategic or tail spend as well, because third-party risk management and any type of SRM, it's all well and good, but companies inevitably just do it with their top suppliers because you can't possibly do it with everyone. But when it comes to legislative requirements for for risk, uh, and also you know doing due diligence on your suppliers and understanding their capability to supply when geopolitical events occur, for example, if you've got a tailspend vendor that I'm thinking more in manufacturing now, you, you'll understand this coming from Rolls-Royce, but if you've got a specific spare part or component that goes into that goes into a piece of machinery or equipment that's from some legacy manufacturer they're not going to be on your radar for SRM but having a platform or a repository that captures all of your suppliers would make it somewhat it's never going to be easy but it makes it somewhat easier right cuz at least then you've got an idea of where to start it is and i think i think you know it's it's interesting because when when you look at sort of the the requirements of, of quite a number of the acts, they talk about doing materiality assessments. So, you know, you you'd be very uh, how can I put it? I'll call it uh, well informed if you if you're able to build those kind of things into you know any any platform or system that you've got. But I think also to your point, the the, the recognition is, and it's been proven by you know countless pieces of research beyond tier one. In other words, tiers two, three, four, etc. That's where seventy to eighty percent of the risk sits. Yeah. However, the the reality is it's it's deep in the supply chain. And to your point, so I use you know Rolls Royce Aero engine as an example: forty thousand parts or whatever it is plus for any single Aero engine. You only got to have one part missing, and you don't have an engine anymore. So you know the, 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 you know for, for that that level of complexity. You could argue that every every component is critical, but again, the materiality would say if I can only get it in one place in the world and um, from one supplier, da 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 da, then you know you 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 then worry less about what I would call the classic sort of oh well they're they're not one of our top ten you know um, suppliers by spend. It's by the materiality of the impact that they can have on your production line. So, you know, I think this is this is about you know sort of almost third party risk management growing up, if you like. So, this is about taking that complexity and being able to assimilate it in a way that we've never been able to do before. And I think that's 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 a welcome plus. And one of the things that I remember discussing, oh, probably two years ago with with. I think it was a, um, a virtual roundtable session in the early days of COVID, 50-plus CPOs, and we're all talking about we need a real-time risk management solution because at the moment, lots and lots of stuff is based on historical data. So finance is a, is a good example of that. Certainly the finance ones, yeah. aren't they? I mean, Dun & Bradstreet, they've got a lot of data, but in terms of assessing real-time risk, it's pretty much useless. Correct. It's about six months old uh, at best uh, when it's presented to you as new. Uh, and so, therefore, the reality is that you're going. Hang on a minute. That those guys have just had their, you know, their their uh, bank covenants pulled and and et cetera, et cetera. So that that scraping of the real time data that says, you know, th- there's an alarm bell going off here. I need to go and do something about that. Is hugely important. And I think this is where then, you know, the ability to be able to, you know, buy data sets, build data sets, get them to sort of be part and parcel of that materiality um, assessment becomes hugely important. And so I think this is where, you know, as I said, I think the coincidence of 
a series of events from, you know, COVID, Suez Canal, Brexit, Ukraine, Russia, sort of, you know, it's a special military operation type thing and all that kind of stuff. We're just getting, you know, it's not, it's not a, it's not, it's not a black swan event. It's a, it's a flock of black swans and we've probably got a few more to come. So, you know, what we can't, what we, the last thing we can afford to do is to take our foot off the gas on that. It has to remain as, as a key thing that we must have in focus uh, within procurement supply chain without a shadow of a doubt. And I, I would say, just, just staying on the topic of the tech, there's almost, the way that I would see it, there's almost two segments of the tech ecosystem around third-party risk management. There is, on the one hand, the more sort of SRM slash you know, material traceability going down the more sustainability route. And then on the other hand, there are, there are platforms like, like, Pre- uh, like Prewave and, um, and Integrity Next that are, are very much focused on looking at social media and news in, in local language and picking up on risk, almost sort of preempting what's coming, what, what's coming to enable companies to have better intelligence of what's perhaps not in the mainstream media in their own language. But with with any of these, and there are varying levels of affordability depending on who they who they pitch to and, and and how deep the solution goes. But with the deluge of legislation that's coming, do you think this is just going to kill small to medium sized businesses if they because large enterprises it's they're going to go through some pain, but they've ultimately got the resource and the and the talent, or they've got the budget to be able to go and recruit the talent to understand the tech that's out there and do that, as, as you alluded to, use use the man and machine to run the data and then interpret that and present to management and put the strategies in place. But, you know, could it, for any Europeans that are listening, could it be another GDPR where it's just another piece of legislation or bureaucracy that's going to make life more difficult for small businesses? There is no simple answer, but the way I see it is, is that, and it's interesting because I remember initiating with uh, a client I had after, after Rolls-Royce, funny enough, um, which we started to build a program whereby we recognized that engaging and recognizing that we had to help, I'll call it assist, the SME population was was of, of critical importance. And that, that um, to not do that would, would be not only the wrong thing ethically, but I think also the wrong thing in terms of business sustainability and survivorship. So when we started to look at this, we said, right, okay, then. So what we are going to have to do is to run a series of events that that help these guys understand, because it's only part of their day job. It's, it's like a fraction of the desk, if you like, in terms of somebody doing this. So what we're going to have to do is to help bring them up to speed, and not in a derisory way, but help educate them as to, you know, what, what does this mean? What is their role to play? How do we think we can most effectively engage and listen to what they say back? But also then, I can see that then extending into sort of, and perhaps this is where the tech providers then need to think about, so how do I extend visibility and, and awareness and data in, in a company's supply chain? So let's take a big corporate, you know, whatever the, the name happens to be on the door, and they're spending you know, billions per year, I could quite literally see a situation whereby at some point somebody go, wait a minute, we need to have a, I'll call it a license, an, on, an onboarding sort of type package that says, if you're engaging with SMEs below 
whatever the number happens to be in terms of turnover, 250,000 pounds, whatever the number happens to be, then effectively, on the back of the fact that they're part of this big corporate supply chain, they get free access. So I can see a situation whereby building that in as part of the proposition, therefore at least giving them the same, I'll call it access, uh, to the right information. And it may be that, that you know it's a different level of access or whatever, but nevertheless is sufficient for them to be able to go, hey, this is going to have an impact on our business. We better tell that large corporate that these things are happening and therefore this is a a potential risk that we've identified and could be material in the flow of goods and services into the large corporate. So it's done in a way that is, I'll call it, positively influencing and helping and and supporting, if you like, the large corporate that has, to your point, got the resources, either fiscal or human resources, to be able to apply to these kind of things. So I do think there is is a a next-gen, I'll call it, licensing type agreement in a sense that needs to be brokered but i think that's for i'll call it the large corporates in a sense to go hey wait a minute it's not quite as uh how can i put it supportive as we need it to be and therefore go back in and say look you guys we need to find a solution to this because it's a it's it's a real problem and it it is part and parcel of our materiality index as well so you need to help us, you know, fix that as a as as a, as a as a problem that we have as a current day problem. So I can see that that coming about within hopefully the non too distant future. Do you think that some tech platforms may sort of grow a consultancy or an as a service arm to manage a lot of tail spend on behalf of you know mid market businesses that perhaps don't have the resource to do due diligence on every single supplier and then just charge a fee on top because it's. It's a logical business model, isn't it? When you think that you know they've got access to all of that data, and it doesn't yeah. cost them any more money in development costs to run, you know, additional data through the system. If anything, it helps them because it helps their machine learning algorithm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of, one of the things that strikes me, and, it, and it, it's it, in line with some conversations I've had recently about, you know, the the the, the whole essence of social value and how how you how you bring that into contracts. So you've got the likes of the social value portal. You've got the likes of, you know, a smallish startup called Supply Change, who, um, you know, bring social value in, into contracts. And one of the things that they've all recognised is that you need people with those skills and those understanding as complementary to the the platforms themselves to be able to support and deliver. And even to the extent that I've suggested that you, you could get to a situation whereby for certain entities, they say, okay, fine, run a certification program and we'll put, you know, five, six people through the certification program. So actually they, they can self-serve. They don't need to then rely upon the, the platform provider. So right. you know, there's different models that can actually, you know, um, work through here. And I think it's, um, I think that's another good example where it's sort of what I call tech for good. And you're using it in a way that that is, recognizes that this is how the real world has to operate because to your point it can't be another sort of you know y2k gdpr type sort of you know it it's all a bit of a fad type of thing we've got to make this real and we've got to make it work and i think that's a way of doing it that's interesting so there there could be a multitude of different approaches as to how it happens but your view is very much tech has to be part and parcel it has to be the foundation on which it's built to to enable companies to do it effectively. 
Yeah, it's, 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 it's a bit like the sort of the classic marriage thing, which is it's got to be tech and people. Uh, and that's, that's, that, that's the two partners, if you like, in a sense, to the marriage. That's what it has to be. It can't be one or the other. It has to be both. And, and you need to find that sort of, how can I put it, like any marriage in a sense, you've got to find the way in which you could say, you know, th- this is how we're going to behave and, you know, th- these are the things that we're going to respect as principles and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so I don't see it as being any different when you think about the people in tech marriage because it's, it's exactly the same. Yeah, interesting analogy, but uh, yeah, it certainly makes a lot of sense. David, going to have to wrap this up because I know you're a busy guy and uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with your, uh, with your new ventures as you, uh, as, as you spend more time in academia. Uh, really interested to follow what you're doing there. And uh, yeah, appreciate your time. Thank you for your insights. If uh, anyone would like to find out more about you, where is the best place they can connect with you? Best place is, is usually LinkedIn, to be honest. Um, I do post reasonably frequently, but do do feel free to just jump on and follow me and you'll just pick up the content quite uh, organically through that. Excellent. Okay, David, thanks again. And uh, yeah, if anyone would like to learn more about third-party risk management software, We've got all of those tools listed on procurementsoftware.site as well. You can filter based on the specific category that you want to look for. I think we've got over 40 solutions listed in that niche, albeit you know quite a broad niche that it covers there. Uh, so yeah, thank you again for listening to the podcast. Look after yourselves until the next episode, which will actually be our last in this mini-series. Until then, good luck with all of your supply chain challenges and risk management challenges and speak to you again soon. Bye for now.